Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Yours, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers, Hanky and Johnny Green, Whoa. answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It's, wow. It's a huge mistake. That was distressing. <laughs> it's a huge mistake. Not John. as distressing as the news from AFC Wimbledon, but distressing. Hank, uh, what's your uh, dad joke for me this week? So, I don't know if you know, but uh, once upon a time, an ancient Greek playwright walked into a tailor, uh-huh. and he held up his pants, and he said, I need you to mend this pair of pants, and he hands the pants to the tailor. The tailor looks at the pants, and he looks back up at the playwright, and he asks, Euripides? <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> <laughs> that one's so good it makes up for all the others. <laughs> oh man. I I mean it, it was going to be in my genre, right? Like yeah, I was right, kind of exactly. giggling from the beginning because it's it's in my world. It's in a world I know and love. Yeah. But I did not see that one coming. I was trying to pun off of like Aristophanes, yeah. Sophocles, but Euripides. <laughs> That's so good, Hank. It's also got you know. It's also got injured pants in it, which is uh, which is a topic of conversation sometimes on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a, that That's was great. that was a complete win for me. I'll work on similar Greek playwright based comedy in the future. <laughs> well, I would not have tweeted this week, so let's move on directly into the questions from our listeners. This you first can't comes- tell me you wouldn't have tweeted this week. It's, this- it's just a great week to not be on Twitter, but then they all are. So we're going to go straight to questions from our listeners. This first question comes from Bill, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why do I find it so unsettling to walk on escalators when they aren't moving? That is, when they are in stairs mode. <laughs> but I find them perfectly fine when they are moving. Long past due, Bill. Oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear about that, Bill. Re-year situation being due. I don't like that there are some stairs in an escalator stair mode staircase that are different heights. All stairs should be the same height. And those early stairs and those later stairs that are really low really throw me off and feel dangerous to me. So that's not what bothers me. What bothers me is that I've been made aware of the fact 
that this escalator is broken. Is broken. <laughs> and if it's broken, that means all manner of things might go wrong with yep. it, with me, with life. Like if one thing <laughs> is not as it should be, mm-hmm. it's very hard for me not to assume that the world is about to collapse and civilization. Right. It's, the, it's just the first thing. Exactly. And we'll yeah. all look back on it and be like, well, Everything was fine until that escalator went into was, stairs mode. Was, it's, it's like it's like when John notices that his hat is too tight and he starts thinking he may have encephalitis or something. Yeah. It's just the first sign. I have this sometimes when internet things go wrong. Earlier this year, YouTube was down for like eight hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, one, YouTube might not ever come back. Like, it's more likely right now than it has been ever before. Right. So, like, if YouTube never comes back, then this is a disaster. But two, what if this is just a sign that, like, things are falling apart? And, like, two days from now, it won't be YouTube that's down. It'll be, like, the grocery store and uh, the gas stations. Yeah. Like, immediately going from, like, this doesn't seem like a thing that should be able to break. In my head, this has always been here. It's like when there's an earthquake. I'm like, the ground shouldn't move. That's its main thing is that it doesn't move. And then it does one day, and you're like, everything's out the window. I can trust nothing anymore. Right. And an escalator's main job is to move. And so if it stops moving, mm-hmm. we are more likely likely to be in or near a crisis than we were five seconds ago. There are some escalators, and I've seen this because I've I've spent a lot of time in convention centers, that start up when you get close to them if they're in like after hours mode so that they save Mm. energy or they go extra slow like they sort of like have a slow mode and then when you approach them they start to speed up that is also very unsettling when you're like okay this is fine when a door automatically opens for me I'm fine with that but the escalator like noticing my approach and being like I am now going to escalate more rapidly it feels very sentient yeah, that is weird. I mean, it's probably energy efficient. Yeah. But it's weird. I look forward to the day I have to explain to my descendants that we did a bunch of things that weren't energy efficient because not doing them just felt kind of weird. <laughs> kind of creeped me out. I don't know. It just kind of <laughs> creeped me out. We've got another question. It comes from Lindsay who asks, Dear Hank and John, help! I'm currently house-sitting, looking after a dog, three cats, and tons of plants. I've been house-sitting for a week, and the couple comes back late tonight, but I found a plant that I didn't know existed outside that, for obvious reasons, I have not been watering. This plant is almost dead. What do I do? Not a Lohan Lindsay. You've killed a plant. Oh, yeah, you remove the plant from wherever it is, and then you throw (laughs) it into the... (laughs) The vast wilderness behind your house. Oh, of course, there's a vast wilderness there. I think it's a very important detail. Were you told that this plant exists? Because if you yeah, were like, did they walk you around to their 700 different plants? Look, you kept both the dog and the cats alive. Yeah. That is the central requirement of a house sitter. Outside plants? Are they are they for you? Were you told about, if you were told about the outside plant, then you owe an apology. If not, then it's just like, oh, well... I didn't know that the outside plant existed. How how would I have? Do I, you think I go outside? I'm Lindsay. All right. You knew what you were getting into. I'm an indoor house sitter. I'm ha- sitting in the house. I'm not sitting in the, I'm not a yard sitter. That's what you say. You say, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, uh, but you didn't hire a yard sitter. And if you wanted to hire one, that costs extra. Yeah, absolutely. I kept your pets alive. You're welcome. Give me my, what is the going rate for a house sitter? <laughs> I'm not asking purely out of idle curiosity. (laughs) 
I house sitting is so cool. It's such a cool thing. You just go get to live in somebody else's house for a little while. I wrote a bunch of looking for Alaska while I was house sitting for someone, and Mm -hmm. it was wonderful to just be in different environs. Like it, it is weirdly stimulating, Mm -hmm. and also it feels a little transgressive. I think to just be in someone else's space in a in a kind Mm -hmm. of fun way. All right, this next question comes from Amico, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, I'm very happy." Oh, that's always good to hear. Yeah. I just got a job at the Omaha Zoo doing cool research. I'm excited to move to Omaha and start this job. But most people I know are very confused as to why I would ever move to Omaha. Whenever I tell people I'm moving there, they react negatively and ask why I would move to the middle of nowhere. I looked it up. <laughs> I liked the idea that Amico didn't visit, but did go to Google Maps. I was like, look, that's a city. Yeah, it's I like looked it up and Omaha's a pretty big city. But still, everyone acts like I'm moving to the worst place imaginable. What should I say to these people who react so negatively? Have either of you ever been to Omaha? <laughs> All hail Snack Man, Amico. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Who is Snack Man? I'm Snack Man, Hank. I'm Snack oh, Man. Oh, right. Snack Man. Snack Man. I got yeah, it. That's a deep cut. I have been to Omaha. Omaha is great. There's so much there. There's the world's largest ball of stamps is in Omaha. It is oh. a very large ball of stamps. I saw it with my eyes. And even I, a veteran of the world's largest balls, was astonished by the size of the world's largest ball of stamps. I am Googling it right now. I want to see it. It's it's pretty big. It's big. Amico, as you are aware, there is also a zoo. You're going to be there every day, so that might get old. <laughs> that When I looked it up, that was the number two attraction in Omaha. So The zoo? Yeah, you, you're good. You're going. Like, you've got it. Was number one the world's largest ball of stamps? Number one is the old market, which I know nothing about. Here, the brick-paved streets are trotted on by horse-drawn carriages for tourism and lined with popular sites like the Joslin Art Museum and Omaha Children's Museum. This sounds amazing. Yeah, that's the other thing I was going to say. There is a good art museum in Omaha. I believe Malcolm X's childhood home is in Omaha. Oh. But look, Amico, places are ultimately made out of people. And you will go there and because you're working at the zoo, you'll be surrounded by people who are doing interesting stuff that's similar to the stuff that you're passionate about. And you'll make friends and you'll develop deep relationships and you will find yourself in five or 10 years if you stay and you don't have to stay. But if you stay, I suspect you'll find yourself in a few years being a huge civic booster of Omaha the way that I am of Indianapolis or the way that Hank is of Missoula. Yeah, I lived in New York. I lived in Chicago. I know a lot of people who live in Los Angeles. Angeles. And I understand the allure of those cities. And I understand why people kind of roll their eyes when you talk about living in Indianapolis or Omaha or Missoula or whatever. But from where I'm sitting, it's great. It's really good. (laughs) Yeah. So just lean into it. Yeah. And I th- I think that there, there are always going to be those cities that have, like, they're in the popular culture enough that, like, everybody understands their persona. Like, we get what D.C. is and we get what Chicago is. We get what Boston is. Right. But we don't have enough space in our minds for all of the cities that actually exist. So we put all the other cities into the same category of, like, middle America blah. But they're not yeah. middle America blah. They're all different from each other. They're all cool. They're all interesting. And they all have many different pieces to them. There are lots of different parts of all of these cities. And if you're from one of those other cities that that I mentioned, those big ones, you know that like Los Angeles is not one town. Boston is not one town. There are lots of neighborhoods that have very distinct characters and feels. And that's also true of Missoula. And it's true of Indianapolis and Omaha. We just don't have this. Yeah, I mean, it's not that true of Indianapolis, but I know, I know, I know what you're trying to say. 
<laughs> sure it is. You got neighborhoods. We yes, we have neighborhoods and they have identities to an extent. I mean, I do get what people mean when they say that they don't want to leave New York because you can get amazing pizza at four o'clock in the morning. It's mm. just that at my age, I don't need amazing pizza at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And Omaha is on the map for all the touring bands. They go there. Yeah. They go there. Oh, I feel like Omaha, because of its geographical location, is a is really good for touring because it's halfway between one place and another. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like you and I have played Omaha a few times precisely because we were like, well, (laughs) we're staying the night in Omaha. It was on the way to somewhere else. But always good shows there. All right. This next question comes from Tamar who writes, Dear John and Hank, I just mentioned this podcast to my mom and her response was, oh, they're still alive? Oh, gosh. What should I tell her? Well, you could tell her, yeah. Hank. We're young men. We're not even. Yes. Before you go on, Mm -hmm. I have to tell you Tamar's incredible incredible name-specific sign-off. Okay. Maybe the best name-specific sign-off in the history of this podcast. Hope we get, comma, to Mars by 2028. Wow! <laughs> wow. Even John likes that one. Who doesn't hope we get to Mars by... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope we get to Mars in 2029, but I like your name-specific sign-off, Tamar, and I like your mom, even though she thought we were dead. Yeah. I mean, like people, just for clarity, people are still alive even after they stop being famous. That's an important thing to note. So if we're (laughs) on the other side of the hill, as we have said several times in the podcast, does not mean we're dead people. It just means that we're people living more normal lives. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's good here on the other side of the hill. And it's good partly because not as many people are thinking about whether you're alive. Right, exactly. Yeah, we have a really difficult time being aware that a lack of public consciousness is not the same thing as a lack of life. Yeah, I mean, I have this problem all the time. I was looking at Google Maps Street View the other day, and I was there's all the people around, like walking around in the town I was looking at Google Maps Street View of. And I had the thought, like, every one of those people at that moment that that picture was taken, we're all having a thought. Each of them thinking thoughts. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm stuck. Everybody's thinking thoughts all the time. Yep. Jessica from high school is somewhere right now thinking a thought. And so is everybody else from high school. All of those people who I haven't thought about in, you know, 20 years, all of them thinking things, doing things, having lives. It's just too much. Yeah, it's definitely overwhelming. Like, I have that feeling often on the New York City subway. Like, I look around and I think, oh, my God, all of these people have consciousness and they're (laughs) all thinking Thoughts that are at least as complex as my thoughts and possibly much more complex. And I can't access the interior of any of their minds. And I am stuck inside this single prison of myself. And I wonder Mm. if Hank Green is still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's always a chance, John. And I was going to say in response to this that we're young men and that we're, we're, you know, not even halfway through. But we are kind of halfway through. I may be halfway through. (laughs) I'm not yet, probably. Mm. But we both might be. Yeah. I mean, for all I know, I'm in the fourth quarter. I don't think that I'm in the first quarter. Like, the chances I'm in the fourth (laughs) quarter are much, much higher than the chances I'm in the first quarter. Oh, that's definitely true, John. It's been a while since this podcast about death was about death, but here we are. John, do you want to talk about something else? Very much so. This question comes from Mario, who asks, Dear Hank and John, if someone invented a device which used the stuff from inside your body to create... 
create and dispense any known condiment. Yeah. Can't be a fictional condiment. Which condiment would you choose and where on your body would you install this device? Salutations, Mario. John, is gold leaf... Don't forget the PS here, Hank. What's the PS? Oh, I see the PS. It says you are restricted from monetizing this gift, Hank. Well, Mario knows me better than I know myself. That feels great. I mean, mine would be ketchup. Because you, just, I, you want a ketchup finger? Uh, I would definitely would not pick my finger. It's one of the <laughs> dirtiest parts of the human body. Uh, I would pick like the inside of my forearm about uh, halfway up. Oh, God. Oh, well, I bad. already have birthmarks there, so I don't even think it would be that much of a problem, really, to have an added little mark that ketchup could come out of. Uh, just a ketchup port? Yeah, the ketchup port. I like how Mario just in the question assumes that we want this. Which condiment would you choose? Yeah, I mean, it is free ketchup. So, I mean, I would say it's hard to turn down free ketchup. But then again, if you want free ketchup, you can just go to any (laughs) fast food restaurant. (laughs) True. I think that ketchup is my most used condiment. And if I can't monetize this, if I can't like become a saffron farm, then I have to go with the (laughs) condiment that I most often use, which is almost definitely ketchup. I I put it on everything. I love it. Maybe crystal hot sauce, but like that feels like it would burn. Yeah. And also you just don't use as much hot sauce when you use hot sauce. So it's not about volume. It's about frequency of use. Like I'm not. For me, it is partly about volume because I think a big part of the charm of this hypothetical situation would be Uh like going to my friends and being like, hey, you need some ketchup. Yeah, John got the ketchup port. Invite him over for nachos. Nacho cheese. Four oh, oh, arms a all much over the cheese. Idea. Nacho cheese. Is nacho cheese a condiment? It's not cheese. So maybe it is a condiment. Wait, what about whipped cream? Because then I'd just be like, Oh, ah. oh, God. All right. We got to move on. I'm getting chocolate really, really sauce. Okay, <laughs> chocolate sauce. That's not a bad idea. All right, this next question comes from Bonnie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how does iambic pentameter work? I know it's like beats and syllables. <laughs> I know that I know that pent means five, but how does it actually work? The more I search, the more it doesn't make sense. What's so special about this specific configuration of sound that make people go, ah, that William Shakespeare, what a genius. Sincerely, Bonnie. Hank, do you know what iambic pentameter is? Because I successfully got a bachelor's degree in English without really knowing what it was. Yeah, I know what iambic pentameter is. It's like where you go, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, that was was four. Yeah, (laughs) da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. There, I did it. Yeah, and as for why it sounds good, we don't really know. Yeah, when I did just the four, it sounded like not quite good. Yeah. When I did five, it was like, ah, that's better. Why? Uh. It may be partly because we've gotten used to this rhythm. Da-da, 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 da-da. Or it may be that there's something inherent to that rhythm Mm -hmm. that sounds good to the brain. There was this movement to create an English meter, the way that some other languages had a sort of rhythm to them or or had a certain like uh, poetic structure that was their central way of communicating things. And the da-da, 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 da-da is what we came up with. I like iambic pentameter. I like it best when it gets it like messed with a little. Like a lot of times Shakespeare will actually use 11 syllables. And I don't know, that always that always gives me like a, a certain little shiver 
in a weird mm. but sort of pleasant way. Da, 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 like, da, like da, almost da, like da, Emily da, Dickinson's da, da. Slant Rhyme, you know? Like there's yeah. something about when it's not perfect that feels both more yeah. human and a little, I don't know, exciting. Well, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of times those those give you, put you on the edge a little bit. They create a tension and you, yeah. and then like you resolve that tension. That's like a, that's like songwriting 101. That's all, it's also that's like, joke that's writing 101, right? Like you, yeah. you, you, you create a setup about a Greek playwright <laughs> and then the person listening to the joke is like going through all the Greek playwrights, like trying to find yep. and then boom, you're settled. It's Eurybides. <laughs> and it's it's still a delight. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I finally found a dad joke you liked. Oh God, it'll you'll we'll never get back to these heights ever again. Man, I'm glad that I I'm glad that I have decided not to monetize my gift of nacho cheese arm. <laughs> to go back to the previous question, I just I just think it would be terrible to be like, I am just now a cheese factory. It's what's best for humanity. I've decided that in a lot of different or, ways. I mean, I'm not totally convinced that all of your commercial interests focus on maximizing human benefit, to be honest with you. All of my personal? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would point You're... to a few of your business ideas over the years <laughs> as being not, like, purely focused on the reduction of human suffering. Well, let's just leave that one behind and go to our new segment. It's time for a million dollar idea. It's time for a million dollar idea. This person on the internet says they got a million dollar idea. It's from Aaron. Aaron says, my million dollar idea, and this is legitimate. I like this idea. For Target, when you're shopping online to go store pickup, to have the option to add a cold bottle of soda or water at checkout for your drive up order. Shopping online and driving to the store really makes you parched. That would actually earn Target a million dollars if they did that. It might. I think it's closer to a $300,000 idea, but I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And it also dovetails nicely with my incredibly strong desire to have a deeper brand relationship with Target. (laughs) Because right now, my relationship with Target mostly goes one way, specifically me going to Target. And I'd really like for that brand relationship to be more of a two-way street where Target, for instance, gives me Target stuff. (laughs) John just wants to, you just want Target stuff. I do. I do. I just want Target to be like, hey, thanks for all the nice things you've said about us. Right. Here's a gift card. Or like an end table, like the one that I've been using for the last 20 years of my life. It's a great end table. Doesn't The drawer doesn't open as far as like a nice end table would, but it's doing its job. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not replacing furniture or other large capital expenses. Like, I am not a person who replaces cars. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to keep my cars until they completely fall apart. And I feel the same way. By the way, Hank, I should mention that I get all my cars at Target. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a really great place uh, to yeah. get cars. You just walk around and you look for one where the door opens and then you just get in that one. <laughs> but I do it the grease two way where I go to Target and I buy lots of parts. <laughs> And then I learn over the course of a single semester how to build an entire car with a screwdriver. Hank and I just rewatched Grease 2, which is a movie that we both loved so, so much when we were children. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it since I was a child. And speaking of cars, what a car wreck of a film. It's I mean, it makes no disaster. sense. a beautiful disaster. It is a beautiful disaster. Yeah. There, there's a lot of candidates for stupidest part of Grease 2, mm-hmm. but maybe the stupidest part is that in a single montage, the main character learns how to build a motorcycle from scratch. <laughs> and the challenge, the thing that's hard for him 
is not building the motorcycle, but learning how to ride it. <laughs> he keeps he keeps falling as he tries to learn how to ride it, but building that motorcycle, yeah. easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Also, he's just in a park and the cops are like, no big, go ahead and rip up the park with your brand new motorcycle you built from scratch. That's fine. And then, I mean, a week after learning how to ride a motorcycle, he is able to somehow like, oh, yeah. take the motorcycle and jump over police cars and other yeah. vehicles. He can like, ollie He it. goes from being someone who knows nothing about driving motorcycles to being evil Knievel within the space of no more than a month. While also writing a lot of papers for people who have reps to protect. Oh, God, there's so much rep protection in Greece, too. It must have been, and I don't know this for sure, but it must have been that in the 1980s, there was a great focus on the idea of one having a reputation. Oh, like that isn't a thing anymore? I guess I still do have a rep to protect. We all have our reps to protect, John. I hope it doesn't come out that Maxwell Caulfield has been writing my Vlogbrothers videos all this time. <laughs> I'm sure that's what Maxwell Caulfield is up to. The man who played Michael Carrington in Grease 2. A fact that John now has in his head. Ha ha ha. And if you want to listen to that Grease 2 commentary, you can't unless you supported us in the Project for Awesome. So thank you to everybody who did that. Oh, which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by the Project for Awesome. The Project for Awesome coming up in just like four short months. Oh, yes. Uh, it feels very soon to me, but I guess that's a while from now. This podcast is also brought to you by Nacho Cheese Arms. Go get them installed at your nearest Target. They're doing that now. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Euripides. Euripides? <laughs> And this podcast is brought to you by the idea of I am. <laughs> we created a word that's a very hard word to say that means a particular kind of accented, two, two accented word thing. I don't know what, I, I can't explain it. That was great, Hank. That was solid. It's a metrical. F so listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Foot, John. Yeah. It's a metrical foot? Hank, we got another question. This one's from V and A, who writes, Dear John and Hank, an abstract painter at one of the community colleges I went to was interviewed about the color choice in a particular painting. And when asked about his color choice, he responded, I used red because it was on sale at Home Depot. <laughs> With everyone trying to derive meaning from work and events around them, how do you know that the meaning you derive is enough or too much, especially when we're extrapolating into the nature of humanity and not just the colors in a painting? Painting and panicking, V and A. Oh boy, you seem to have made this hard for me to answer. I do think that that just because 
the painter chose red because it was on sale at Home Depot doesn't mean that there was nothing to the red in the painting. Like, if blue had been on sale, the painting wouldn't have been the same but blue. It would have been a different painting. Yeah, there is a lot of emphasis placed on what a painter or an author or whatever Mm -hmm. intended as the meaning of their work. Mm -hmm. And I I think a lot of that emphasis is misplaced. Like, to me, you're not doing too much looking if you find a deep meaning to something that wasn't intended by the creator. Like, it is not relevant to me whether Shakespeare knew how good Hamlet was, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's still good. What abstract painting is trying to do, or at least, like, I think one of the things it's trying to do in a lot of cases is to convey ideas, emotions, to convey the deep stuff that we don't have language or direct forms of expression for. And if you find that in a painting, great. And I don't understand, like, why it's delegitimized by Mm -hmm. the painter saying that that meaning wasn't intended. Yeah. I don't I don't care. Yeah. I also think that, like, to some extent, this can be a way of basically saying, like, it's not for me to decide. That is a creative choice of a creative person. There are some of my favorite songs. I know they have meanings. I know they were intended to have meanings, but the uh, the songwriters don't talk about the meaning. And yeah. like that meaning is definitely there if you choose to go and find it. Yeah, it's similar to like when Sir Edmund Hillary was asked why climb Everest and he said, because it's there. That's not the answer, mm-hmm. but it's a way of dealing with the question. And I know that that's something that I've done in my life as a writer. Like I have definitely at times dealt with the question rather than like trying to grapple with it seriously, in part because I don't want my voice to be privileged in the way that the painter's voice is being privileged in this in this question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like if I said what I think happens after the end of looking for Alaska or if I, you know, I, I, I think people would then like say that it's true. In fact, one of the most shared things about me on Twitter is this lie, this lie that I said what happens after the end of mm-hmm. my book, The Fault in Our Stars. And it has something like 100,000 retweets. And it's yeah. just it's completely made up. Like, I have never said a word about that. I never would. And it's extremely specific in all the ways I would never, ever be extremely specific. And then there are all these people replying to it. And they're like, oh, that's so sad. And I'm <laughs> like, no, it's just a lie is what it is. Yeah. I've seen that. And and I even like when I first read it, I was like, it doesn't seem like something John would would do. No, I've got to never that. like, I, yeah, the only thing I know I'll never talk about is uh, that. God knows I've talked about literally everything else. Speaking of which, we have another question. Yeah. <laughs> Ruby who writes, dear John and Hank, I'm going into junior high school next week. Oh, God, Ruby. I'm so excited for you. It's going to be great. Godspeed. I'm not entirely prepared. I only have like four friends and I'm nervous that I won't get lunch shift with any of them. My mom said this would be a good time to branch out and meet new people. But is she crazy? Yes, she's crazy. <laughs> what is she talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be like the person in the movies who eats lunch in the bathroom, but I will if I have to. I'll take all advice with gratitude. Not a gem, Ruby. Oh, uh, I mean, here's what's probably going to happen. You're probably going to see people who look roughly like something that seems safe 
And you are probably going to be able to find those people and be like, hey, I'm Ruby. I'm going to sit. Can I sit here? And they'll say I remember yes. the intensity of this, though. Yeah. Like when you finish getting your food, you're holding your tray, mm. you turn around, you look at the tables, and mm. you're like, oh, geez. Like my stomach is starting to hurt just remembering. Yeah. It. I mean, if you can find one other person to be the seed of a table with, that's really what all of life is. Yeah. The other thing I would say is whenever in your life, and this goes not just for junior high school, you are at a table and you are comfortable and you are surrounded by people who you know well and like and trust and you don't have that feeling anymore, when you see someone who clearly does have that feeling, mm-hmm. wave them over. Yeah. Like, it, it, it make a place at your table for them. You will in time find your people, Ruby. Hopefully you've already found them. Hopefully you're sitting at an awesome lunch table and, and you will for the rest of middle school and high school and, and onward. You will get there. This next question comes from Trevor, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have a nine-year-old brother who every day talks about how he's going to be a millionaire from making vlogs and video game videos. How do I talk him down from this? Not terribly clever, Trevor. Oh, you don't. He's nine. Yeah, that's absolutely the thing. So a thing that I've, I've kind of realized is that, like, all of this, like, opportunity to, like, try stuff out and, like, sort of follow in the path of the people whose content you consume or or people who you idolize, whether that's sports stars or vloggers, you are learning stuff while you're doing that. And even though that is 99.9% of the time not going to be the thing that you end up doing, it provides you with life skills. So actually like doing it and trying to figure it out is way more valuable than like sort of being isolated by it and like having everybody tell you that it's not going to happen because ultimately playing a sport is fun and you get to like learn how to connect with other people and listen to your coach and be part of a team and learning how to you know make a gaming stream is also important skills you get to learn how to better understand how computers work and maybe you're on a team when you're gaming you get to improve your social skills when you're communicating with you know whatever audience you might have or be pretending to have and all that stuff is like it's stuff you've done and it's it's valuable and it might be valuable in your career as a gamer. It might be valuable in your career as like a communications expert at a, you know, Fortune 500 company. Like it could be a lot of different things. Yeah. Trying to do stuff and exploring one's dreams, I think, is good. And yeah. a lot of times it doesn't lead to a ton of professional opportunities, at least directly, but it's still good. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I have to read this one comment from Vidya. You'll remember, Hank, in a previous episode, we talked about what a good idea it was to have a pants cloning company, a a company that takes your favorite pair of pants and perfectly clones them so that you have an (laughs) infinite number of your favorite pair of pants. Well, as it happens, Vidya wrote in to tell us, Dear John and Hank, my dad ran a company a decade ago that made highly customized pants in Bangalore. He'd make house calls to customers' houses take their body measurements and the measurements of their favorite pants and feed those dimensions into a licensed software that would generate a computerized (laughs) pant design, which could then be used to cut cloth and stitch it into a clone of their favorite pants in any material that they chose. Wow. He called his brand Verbatim, which is the best possible company name for this idea. Mm -hmm. He ran the company for five years before shutting it down in 2014 due to various problems. So there you go. 
it's maybe it's already been done. And I, it doesn't sound like Vidya's dad made a million dollars. It doesn't sound like that, but you never know. If you want to try a pants cloning company, just bear in mind that it's been tried. Hank, it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I will go first. AFC Wimbledon's crowdfunding campaign in which they are raising money to build the new stadium. In this case, they are raising money that are also like shares of the club. So you Mm -hmm. can like own part of the club. And it's really cool. It's only open to British people and uh, certain Americans. (laughs) By certain Americans, by the way, I mean me, not most people. Uh, You can go to seedrs.com slash AFC Wimbledon if you're British. And you can own a piece of AFC Wimbledon. As of this recording, they are almost all the way to their initial uh, goal of two million pounds, but I know they have greater ambitions than that. It's a really cool thing, and it continues the tradition of AFC Wimbledon being owned by its fans. And this week in Mars News, uh, you we are constantly following the methane mystery of Mars here on Dear Hank and John, and we've got another data point here. So. As previously discussed, it's established that something on Mars is making methane somehow. We just don't know how, and it doesn't make any sense because it's there sometimes and not other times. A potential answer that people are most excited about is that maybe there's some Martian microbe under the surface, but there are potential geological explanations as well. One of those theories is that the wind on Mars is eroding rocks, and as it does that, it releases methane that's trapped in microscopic bubbles and cracks on the surface. A team of scientists based out of Newcastle University decided to look into this by estimating how much methane is likely to be in Mars rocks using Martian meteorites and analogous rocks on Earth as a reference. Then they estimated how much erosion Martian wind can actually drive to predict how much methane would be released by Mars rocks. And using those numbers, the team found that to get measurable amounts of methane on Mars, the rocks themselves would have to contain way more methane than they are likely to, as much as the rich richest hydrocarbon shales on Earth. Wow. Based on this, the scientists believe that wind erosion is not the culprit behind the seasonal methane spikes that have been measured on Mars, and thus we are once again not sure what the heck is going on. So it's possible that this is like an algae bloom, but for Martian microscopic life that produces methane? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or, or like like it produces methane year round, but then during certain seasons, the the permafrost gets soft enough that some of the methane can like bubble up from t- to the mm. surface. Yeah. I mean, if it's not rocks. If it's not rocks. Dot, dot, dot. We should go check it out now. We should. We should. We should send a, 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 a non-human mission there as <laughs> soon as possible. <laughs> Now! Well, we are. We are doing that right now. I know. I know. And I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'll remind you that according to Elon Musk, we're only nine years away from a private corporation (laughs) sending human beings to Mars. Which is too long. Or maybe it's just the right amount of time. He is known for his uh, accurate timelines. (laughs) (laughs) Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Complexly. It's edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications. The music you're hearing right now is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.